week one of God and sexuality. If you walked into the, the wrong room this morning, if you didn't know that's what we're talking about, there's still time for you to leave if you need to. Um, as we're going to dive in the next two weeks to discover God's beautiful design uh, for our sexuality. Uh, let me say this, on Thursday night, September 28th, we're going to do our first ever forum here from 7 to 9 p.m. here in this room uh, on God and sexuality. Uh, there's a place today, if you go to cc.guide, you click on that tab, God and sexuality, you can submit topics, questions, things that you want to wrestle through. The Sunday morning uh, kind of venue here, we'll be able to maybe surface level some of these things. That Thursday night, we'll go a little bit more in depth on issues of uh, man, transgender, LGBTQ, things that are very important topics that we wouldn't have the time to be able to process each and every one of the, those in this context, but we will uh, in that context. But you can begin to submit those even now. Uh, let me say this about this venue. At 7 to 9 o'clock, there's no child care for that event. It's not a service. We'll take some breaks along the way. We're going to have different people up here on stage throughout that time. Um, kind of sharing some of their story, um, sharing kind of insights into different aspects of God and sexuality, and then at the very end, we'll tackle questions that have uh, been submitted. So we think it's gonna be a beautiful time. Really what's gonna happen today uh, is gonna be part one of really a two-part sermon. I'm gonna continue it next week. Today's gonna be about the beauty of God design. Next week's gonna be about uh, brokenness. And one of the things that we've done really well here at City Church, if you're new, is we tackle the difficult topics with, with love and grace and truth, amen? And so in a world that's so divided and that doesn't have venues to be able to talk through things, we always say here, we're united in the essential matters of our faith, but the non-essential matters, the things that we have to wrestle through that are open to interpretation, we do that with grace and love, amen? We don't set aside the fruit of the Spirit even when we disagree with other people. And so this morning, I would just say to you, and if you walked into this room and maybe you're wanting to grow and learn, that's great. Maybe you walked into this room and you're like, I hope Pastor Matt says what I already believe. I really do hope you have a heart change and you open yourself up just to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life uh, over the next few weeks. Let me start with this. Uh, there's been no generation in human history that has gone through more significant changes than we have in just the last 50, 60 years. And we could spend a lot of time on this, and we don't have time to do it this morning, but uh, you're talking about even just since the 1960s, the civil rights movement and globalization and uh, terrorism, things like the internet, the email, the smartphone, transportation, even if you get into modern day AI and how it will change the dynamic of things. So we can imagine how much and why there's so much social unrest and emotional anxiety because think about how much change that's happened in your lifetime, really regardless of how old you are. In fact, at some level, I kind of stopped myself and think, were we even designed, like emotionally and mentally, to undergo as much change as rapidly as we have? A recent study, uh, th there was a recent study where sociologists outlined some of the major recent shifts in sexuality over the last 50 to 60 years. So think about this just in regards to sexuality. Number one, sex has been disconnected from childbearing and the family. Even think about it, oral contraceptives and birth control is a rather recent development. It became legal in the early mid-60s. And so sexuality and sex in general, for years and most of, uh, most of uh, human history, there was responsibility attached with sexuality. And now what's happened in our culture because of advancements is we've moved from kind of this procreation and responsibility to pleasure. Now sexuality is primarily for my pleasure. 
The second thing, um, kind of this, uh, some of these major recent shifts has been sex has been disconnected from marriage. In almost every culture throughout human history, sex was somehow committed to, or, or connected to monogamous committed relationships. That's no longer the case. So we have kind of divided sex and the physical body that I can have sex and it doesn't really affect anything and so I can have soul ties with other people and attachments and it doesn't really matter. We've removed them from committed monogamous relationships in the covenant of marriage. Number three, sex has been disconnected from male and female relationships. It's a recent advancement. Uh, we're gonna get more into this into the forum, but as we dive into this in the forum, we're gonna talk about how now our, our mind and our pleasure and our desires and our culture have been placed above our biology or our body. Now people say your body and your God-given gender doesn't really matter, it's what you think about what you have that matters more than anything. That's a recent development, a recent shift that we'll get more into at a later time. Number four, sex has been disconnected from love, emotion, and relational commitment of any kind. Now we live in a hookup culture where you can swipe right and have a sexual relationship in a matter of minutes or hours. Sex is just sex. Our culture would say it's a transaction between two people for, our own, for my own personal enjoyment and pleasure. We want the benefits of a sexual encounter without any emotions or long-term commitment because how many know the emotions and the commitment gets messy and there's a lot of things involved and I, I would rather just have the physical aspect of it. Now let's be honest, these trends have always been around to some degree, but what's happened over the last 50 to 60 years is they've been normalized in our culture. Not only have they been normalized, uh, but they are being described as moral progress, enlightenment, sexual liberation, right? We're breaking free from traditions and religion and gender stereotypes and norms and oppressive systems that for years kept us from experiencing freedom in our sexuality, that's what our culture would say. In fact, the definition of secularism, we're gonna get more into this actually in next week's message, is this. It's the language of our current culture which disciples a person to learn to live without God. And we are in an increasingly secularized world. That is where our culture has been going for a while. So we wanna remove God from the center of the equation. We wanna put ourselves at the center and then redefine our sexuality, not around God's standard, but around us because who knows truth and what we need more than we do, right? The problem is this. There's many problems with that. The problem is that our sexuality is not just physical, and we can't just engage sexually without our soul and our emotions being involved. This is why sex in, in general can bring so much joy, but how many know few things can bring more pain and wounding than sexual experiences? Because it's connected to our soul. Let me stop and talk to a group of people this morning for a few minutes, because we always want to do this around here at City Church. Some of you are in the room and you're like, I didn't even know you were speaking on this today, I just showed up, right? Some of you are here because you want to learn, you want to grow in this area, you want to become a better follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and you want to, to, to build your sexual ethic around a kingdom, understanding of the kingdom of God. Again, some of you are here today because you just want to hear if Pastor Matt is going to say what you already believe, and I, I really do hope you have a heart change and you open yourself up in humility to receive what God wants. But some of you are here today. You love Jesus. You desire more of God, and you struggle with this. You struggle with sexual addiction. You struggle because you're not comfortable in your God-given gender. You're not straight. 
You have sexual desires that don't fit the approved categories. You feel incredible guilt and shame from your sexual past, something that's maybe happened to you or something that you've done. You've been exploited or taken advantage of sexually and you carry that daily. You're scared if you were, if you were truly honest what others in the church or how the church would treat you. How many know a lot of people carry that fear? We want you to know this morning that you're not alone. We love you. I don't ever preach these messages without you in mind, because this is not just truth that's a battering ram to hit somebody over the head with, amen? This is flesh and blood. These are people made in the image of God who are in our body of Christ, who love Jesus and who are struggling through these issues, and we, as the body of Christ, are called to create a safe place. So let me say this before we even jump in any further. While we will be clear about God's standards for, and God's design for sexuality, we are committed at City Church to creating a safe place where you will be loved, where you can experience community, where you can experience, find freedom. And, and I, I truly mean that. And, and people have come to me and say, well, what you, how are you going to treat me, Pastor, if I struggle with this or, uh, you know, whatever it may be. And I said, well, you, you know, just stick around and test us, Right? We're not gonna stiff arm you, it holds you at length and say, oh, get your life straight and then you can come be a part of relations and community. We're gonna say, come and allow the spirit of God to work in you and through you because guess what? This may be your issue, but I have my own. And this is the tension of grace and truth that's so difficult. It really is. It's something you have to wrestle with and nobody's got it completely figured out. And people will come to me and say, pastor, I need more truth. I need you to preach more truth, pastor. And often this truth is void of love for those who are struggling. And then you have the other group say, Pastor, I need more grace and more license. And often in this grace fails to be clear on God's design for us sexually. We want to hold that tension the next few weeks as we wrestle with this. We want to create safe places. In our forum in, in, in a couple of weeks from now, we're going to have two people in our church uh, actually share at this who have walked through struggles in their sexuality. And they're going to talk about how, where the church has failed them and where the church has rescued them and been there for them. And we're going to wrestle together how do we create a safe place for that. We have people in our church who are struggling through these issues. And if you allowed me to come in and walk alongside you, and I want you to know how honored I am to be able to go on that journey with you, that you've opened up that part of your life to me, to our church, to our staff. We, have a people who have we are people in our church who are attracted to the same sex or they identify as gay or queer and they have chosen a God-honoring lifestyle and sexual ethic and you are flourishing in our church, you are leading in places. And we have people in our church who struggling with issues of sexuality and don't know where they stand yet, don't know what they believe, but they're seeking Jesus in humility and a willingness to grow. We say this all the time. Our thing here at City Church is not that you're gonna be perfect, we're gonna create places where you can experience the presence of God and allow the work of sanctification, amen? That's happening in all of us. The work of sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit happening in our lives. We wanna create those spaces for people to discover God. Today, here's what I wanna look at. I wanna reclaim the beauty of God's design. I wanna become aware of the brokenness of our sexuality because of sin. We're gonna challenge each other to reclaim these spaces where people can struggle and struggle well and leading us towards a God-designed sexuality. Sexuality touches on some of our deepest fears and longings. And when I began to compile this list, it was way too long, but some of the things that are attached to our sexuality is loneliness and body image, rebellion against authority, confusion, lust, desire, self-control, attachment, 
father-mother wounds, trust issues, and even our identity. And, and I think if we're gonna have an honest conversation about sexuality, then we have to start with identity. Identity is described as this. It's what gives us meaning, self-worth, and purpose. Our identity drives us and often defines the community we belong to. This is really important if you're taking notes and following along. Our culture has normalized the lie that both identity and sexuality are one of the same. They can't be separated. One is the other. The American Psychology Association, I want you to listen to this, defines sexual orientation as referring to a person's sense of identity based on those sexual attractions, related behaviors, and membership in a community of others who share those attractions. In other words, what they're saying is my sexual identity supersedes all other identities and defines who I am, what I do, and what community I belong to. Practically speaking, this is why the pride movement has been so incredibly powerful. One of the reasons it's been so incredibly powerful and effective is the pride movement coincides with cultural secularism and where our culture is already going, where God has been removed from the center and we've replaced it with me or ourselves. They're preaching a message that says your sexual orientation is not just a part of who you are, it is at the core of who you are. And to deny your sexual desires is to deny who you are as a person. So pride gives people a sense of identity and communion and purpose, while also going even farther, labeling those who do not celebrate this as out of touch, traditionalists, bigots, homophobic, whatever it may be. You don't believe what we believe. You're not affirming at the core of who we are. So let me just get one thing straight, because I really think it's really important that we wrestle with this from the beginning. If you are a follower of Jesus, your primary identity is found in Christ. This is central to the Christian faith. This is one of those non-negotiables, essential. We don't find our identity in anything other than the person of Jesus. If we find our identity anything in other than Christ, guess what? We have a lordship issue, and we have an idolatry issue. And it doesn't have to be just same-sex attraction or sexuality issues. This is anything. And how many know we all have idolatry issues? Everybody in this room. This is why we don't point our fingers to somebody who struggles with sexuality and saying, man, you know, that's, that sin is up here, but thank God I'm just a glutton, you know? <laughs> that's much more socially acceptable, especially in the church. No, we have, all have idolatry issues, don't we? Where do we find our identity? Every time I sit down with a person who's wrestling with their sexuality, and really who's wrestling with anything, it could be pornography, it could be anything related to any kind of sin and idolatry, what do we do? We stop and I say, hey, I wanna, I wanna set the record straight. I wanna help you find your identity in Christ because once you find your identity in Christ, it's, it's, it's the roadmap and, and the road to freedom, amen? It truly is, no matter what we're wrestling with. So today I wanna to place sexuality within the context of the bigger story because here's what I've learned. Too many Christians have lost their story in regards to sexuality. I can probably tell you this morning, I'm gonna say some things that you've never heard in church. I mean, that's okay, sometimes we need this. That we've lost our story. Why did God design it? Why are we sexual beings? What's it pointing us to? What went wrong, right? What needs to be reclaimed? 
I mean, growing up, you hear a lot of different stories about sexuality. In fact, I'm going to go just through three stories. This is taken from my friend, uh, John Tyson, who pastors Church of the City in New York. I took his rubric for this and kind of adapted and made it my own, but I want to give him credit because he came up with it. And these are three main stories about sexuality in our world. And story number one is the secular story. And maybe this is the story you grew up in, or maybe this is the story you're currently living in. This is a story where exploration of sexuality is promoted. You need to explore, you need to try things. It's just sex, it's just pornography, it's just masturbation. It doesn't really matter as long as it doesn't affect other people and it's just for you, it's fine. And guess what, even that parameter, as long as it doesn't affect other people, is, is already moving on and leaving us. As long as it doesn't hurt other people. It's for your personal fulfillment. You should push the boundaries. You should explore the boundaries. See, your sexuality is your identity. It's about your rights and it's about your pleasure. The story of our culture, the story of an increasingly secular society. Some of you grew up with story number two, which is the story I grew up in, which is called shame. It's the story of shame. Why do I think we need to reclaim a biblical and God-honoring narrative, because the church has defaulted to story number two so often. We've defaulted to a shame story, and I hate that, that sexuality is full of every kind of evil, so you don't touch, you don't look, you don't think about it, you repress every single sexual thought until you get married in a committed, heterosexual, monogamous marriage, and then you just open up this beautiful world of two people who love each other, right? And you get my sarcasm. You know how many couples that, that Lindsay and I uh, constantly, uh, we have these sex talks in our, for premarital counseling in our living rooms. You know how many couple who grew up in a shame story have difficulty opening themselves up even to their future spouse because there's so much shame attached to sexuality? It's almost like we're supposed to flip that switch. Oh, no, it's not longer shameful. It's beautiful. So just go and express it. But you're bringing that with you because that's all you've ever known. That's all you've ever experienced. No one actually told you about God's beautiful design for sexuality. They just said, just don't think about it. We're not gonna talk about it. What's attached with a shame story? Legalism, hypocrisy. This is where people struggle, but they struggle secretly because nobody can know. This is seeing sex as shameful this isn't in my notes this morning, and I told myself I wasn't going to get off the rails on this, right? So I keep to the notes this today, of all days. In a shame story, often this is veiled as holiness, but it's not. Holiness is not repressing your sexual desires or not talking about it. Holiness is, is being honest about yourself, but honest about choosing a God-honoring sexual ethic. That is what holiness is. But the shame story can lead to all of these things. Story number three is what we want to paint a picture of is a sacred story. That sexuality is actually a part of our spiritual formation. You guys ever heard that in church? I haven't. And intended to transform us as we submit ourselves to God's design. So we work through our sexuality with grace. And guess what? Your sexuality and your desire is not always evil. It can actually point you to Christ and a deeper desire for him. Man, I wish somebody had told me that when I was 13. This sacred story is this, that we have to steward our sexuality. That our sexuality is a powerful energy within us, amen? 
That's why it's such an access point for the enemy. It's a powerful force. In fact, one day you can ask God, why is it such a powerful force? It can lead to incredible life and joy and incredible pain and bondage. And for the next few minutes, instead of jumping to the brokenness of sin and all of the things that we don't do, which is clear in scripture, and next week we're gonna talk about the brokenness, this morning I wanna talk about the beauty. Because I don't think we talk about that very often. I wanna talk about the beauty. I'm gonna give you four things. How do we live in God's beautiful design for sexuality? Number one, we see sex and sexuality as a part of God's good creation. See, when we lose our story as the people of God, God's story for creation and sexuality, then confusion comes in. Even the phrase God and sexuality, for most people, those just two things don't coincide because God and sexuality don't go together. It's almost like those two things are opposed to each other. That's what many people have in their head. In fact, it's funny because when we do premarital counseling and we're sitting with a couple, Lindsay and I go into detail. We don't care if they've been married before, if they're virgins, that they have no sexual history. We act like they don't know where body parts are and where they go. <laughs> and I, we've done this hundreds of times now. And they'll be sitting in our, in our living room and Pastor Matt says all the words. I just say them out front, I get them out there and people just look down and their face gets red and they're like, I just can't ever make eye contact with you again. But here's what I tell them, I love you enough, I'm not gonna assume you know what to do with it or where it goes or what's happening. I'm not gonna make any assumptions. I'm not gonna assume you know God's design whatsoever. I'm gonna assume that you're living in ignorance or you've just accepted a cultural worldview and we're gonna talk about all the things because guess what? We had a couple in our lives before we got married who set us down and said all of the things. You know how much that saved us from brokenness and heartache? You know how much when we went into marriage that we weren't trying to fulfill each other or like knock each other's socks off or anything like that because we're like, no, this is a part of growing together and learning and there's gonna be great and there's gonna be difficulty and there's gonna be brokenness in this area and we're gonna have to work through things and it's not what the world has made it to be and every movie you see is not a reality, right? And I'll look at this couple And we start going through like 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and the body, and I'm like, you understand that when you are in the context and the covenant of marriage, have a great sex life, that God smiles on you and it brings glory to him. And they're like, no, pastor, come on now. That's creepy, like God in the corner looking down at me, you know? That's what the shame story does for us. I know it is funny, but that's what shame story does for us. It moves us into the shadows where God and our sexuality don't overlap, where God is already, even if it's under his design, he kind of looks at us like, "Mm, not really what I want. Not a safe place to explore between two people committed to each other in the covenant of marriage. You know, even that, that's what the shame story does for us. We've got to move out of that. And this creation story, and I'm sorry, we don't have time to get into all of the the text of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We'd be here for hours if we read all of it. But God creates us. We have the imago Dei in us, a divine spark. You and I are bearers of the divine image. Nobody else got the imago Dei. The animals and the creation don't have that. Then God in his creation gave us sexual differentiation, male and female. So there's something about God's design where our bodies actually do matter. Our genetic biology of how he created sexual differentiation has a place in God's design that we cannot dismiss. 
Then God blesses us, and the story begins with humans in right relationship with God and right relationship with others. So I want to stop for a minute and just let you know, sex is actually not a result of the fall, but a part of God's good creation, something we don't talk about often. God was the inventor of sex. It was his idea. It was a part of his good creation. Here's what I believe is so important, and especially for young people who grow up in a culture, and maybe they even grow up into the church, and the world is kind of doing whatever they want to do, and so they feel like they're missing out on something. And so when they get out of the house or they go do their own thing, I I need to explore because there's this whole venue of sexuality that I may be missed on, and everybody else seems to be enjoying it or doing whatever they want to do. How many know sexuality and God's design is not just saying no, it's saying yes to something so far superior. And that's the thing I was never taught. I was never taught that part. You know, you're not missing out on anything. No, in fact, you are saying yes to something that will fulfill every desire that you have. It's not about just saying no, it is saying yes to him. It's not just repressing our feelings or thoughts or desires, but we direct them towards Christ because we understand our desires and our sexual uh, yearnings will never satisfy. Will they? This is where we don't want to nod because it's awkward, but you know it and I know it. They never fulfill because only he can fulfill. So number one, we say sex and sexuality as a part of God's good creation. Number two, we realize how sin disconnected us from God and others in our desire for connection and reconnection. That is what we are engaged in right now. You had perfect fellowship. We did. Adam and Eve. Perfect communion. Uninterrupted fellowship with the Father. And sin separated that. Do you know what you and I are yearning for and longing for and trying to find again? Connection. You don't even know at the deepest level that's what you want. You want deep, uninterrupted connection with God, and you want that with other people because that's what you were designed for. That's what the Imago Dei inside of you yearns for. Amen? to reconnect. In fact, life is all of the ways that you and I go about trying to reconnect. That's what really life is. It's all of the ways. There's an aching in our bones to to reconnect. But here's the thing. Some of us go about reconnecting towards destruction, and some of it do it constructively. What are some of the ways we can do it constructively? When, When you go to a concert, you're like, well, that doesn't sound spiritual. It is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. When you're in a church gathering, when you're at a, a wedding reception, a moment walking in nature, a midweek service, a micro church, a date with somebody that you're interested in, those are all about ways that we go about reconnecting to God and reconnecting to others. Then how many know there are ways that we try to reconnect that are destructively? Pornography is something that is destroying marriages and sexuality and our understanding of God's design, but inwardly, you know what even pornography is? A desire to reconnect. But it's a lie the enemy feeds over and over again that this sexual experience or this moment or encounter can somehow leave you fulfilled. But anybody who's ever been down that road, not only does pornography destroy the relationships around you, but it destroys your ability to ever truly connect with God and with others. Not that God doesn't love you in your struggle, 
but your inability to truly find intimacy in him and with other people. Pornography creates this unsustainable fantasy world that has this image like it can fulfill, but all of us know that it cannot. It leaves you emptier than you were before. We are sexual beings created for connection. Will we channel this longing on our sexuality to God's design, to him, or to destruction? Number three. We recognize God's design and framework for our sexuality requires surrender. This is not popular, is it? I don't wanna surrender this part. Not my desires, not my feelings. And how many know this can seem incredibly unfair? It's no problem if your sexuality and your desires naturally fit within God's design, but pastor, what if they don't? What am I supposed to do with that? See, herein lies the tension for many people. What do I do when God's design and framework seems restrictive or even unfair? Do I surrender or do I indulge? Will I submit to God's design or do I redefine the framework of what I believe God really means? Isn't that the question? Holy sexuality throughout scripture, I I think is fairly clear. It's consistent from Genesis to Revelation. That chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage are two things that God blesses repeatedly in scripture. So regardless of our sexual desires or urges or inclinations or longings, we are called to surrender every desire to him. This is actually what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because maybe your desire sexually aligns with God's standards, or maybe it doesn't, but how many know you have desires within you that don't align with God's standards, right? All of us have things that we would rather not follow God's standards for. What do we do in that moment? Do we redefine God's standards, or do we submit? A lot of this, even in regards to sexuality, I'm telling you, it's a lordship issue. It's a lordship issue. Who ultimately is Lord? The last one, number four, is this. We acknowledge that our sexuality and desire for connection are pointing us to something far superior. It's pointing us to something far superior. Carl Rayner says this. He says, we eventually realize that here in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. I want you to lean in. I know this is heavy this morning. I know there's more notes than normally. I'm preaching just a little bit longer than I normally preach, but I don't want you to miss the importance of this next part. What is he saying? All symphonies remain unfinished. He says that though we can find contentment in Christ, we are never fully satisfied in this life. We are satisfied in the life to come fully. So in this life, we're always somewhat waiting, somewhat frustrated, somewhat needing more. This is especially true of our sexuality. Our sexual appetites, even within God's design, are never fully satisfied. This is why we have to practice self-control and restraint. This is why we have to practice the fruit of the Spirit. This is why that person who's struggling with sexuality and sin, and they're like, well, if I can just get married, and I'm like, nope. Nope, that's not it. If you struggle with self-control before you got married, guess what? You're going to struggle after you get married, and now you brought another person into your mess. We understand that 
Our sexual desires are even never fully fulfilled, even like the perfect marriage, and you know who that couple is that act like, man, they just got it all together. I bet it's, their sex life is awesome. You know, I bet it's so good, and I bet they just seem like to get along, and their kids are perfect, and all this. No, it's not. Because even though you can have something great and beautiful, amen, I'm not denying that. It doesn't fulfill the deepest longing in my soul. That's why all throughout Scripture, God blesses singleness, and he says, single people, you're not missing out on life. The fullness of life is found in Christ, amen? You're not living plan B, second tier, down here, and oh, if you just get married, then you can be fulfilled. That's not what it is. That's why he blesses singleness all throughout scripture. That wasn't in my notes, but it needed to be said, right? Luke chapter 20, verse 27. Let me give you a quick context because I'm already running out of time. There's a woman who... Uh, she keeps getting married, but her husband's passed away, so, she, so biblically she can get remarried again. And so Jesus is having this conversation with the Sadducees of when the resurrection from the dead happens, who she's going to be married to, because she's had several, right? She's had several husbands, and so who's she going to be married to in heaven? Verse 27, some of the Sadducees who say there's no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. This was the question. I'm going to skip to verse 34. Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. And I am just so sorry, because there is so much to unpack here that I'm not going to. I read this to say this, why does Jesus say there is no marriage in heaven? Why does he give this answer? He's saying because our sexuality and our desire for connection, even at the deepest level of the covenant of marriage, will be fully realized and fully fulfilled in the age to come. It's like everything, that, that, that longing inside of you to be made whole and to reconnect to others, even on the most deepest level of sexual intimacy, will be fully fulfilled, where you won't be lacking. Like, have you ever met those people where you're like, please, Jesus, don't return until I get married? You're just like, you can tell they've lost their story, because they're thinking like, oh, if I get in heaven, I'm going to miss out. I'm going like, to look back and be like, man, I really wish I could. No, no, no. Every desire, every longing, fully fulfilled in him. That's why you and I are called to temporarily steward our sexuality while we wait. To steward it faithfully. To wrestle faithfully. How many know some of you? You may have to struggle well until, until Jesus looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You struggled well. Does that seem unfair? Because I think all of us struggle well to some degree until we make it, amen? I wanna end this morning with these things. I quote Henry Nouwen pretty often. He's a spiritual formation writer that uh, had a profound effect on my life. What a lot of people don't know is that Henry Nouwen in many of his private conversations and private journals, he was a celibate priest, but he confessed to having same-sex attraction for most of his life. And he talked about struggling faithfully and struggling well. And what does it mean for me? Because if you've ever read Henry Nouwen, um, there was a depth there that I could only hope to attain in spiritual formation and love for God. And yet I'm pretty sure till the day he died, he wrestled with his sexuality. 
And I think some people will be like, well, if you're truly experiencing freedom in Christ, then God will just take all those desires away. How many know God can do that and sometimes he does it, but not always? Sometimes we just have to wrestle faithfully and struggle well. And I wanna end this morning by giving you these four things from Henry Nouwen because I think they're beautiful. Number one, he says, how do we do this? He says, we own your pain and the incompleteness of living in the in-between. He said, you just gotta wrestle with the fact that you are living in the in-between. Christ has come, but Christ will come again. We confess it every Sunday around this table. And while you're in that in-between, there's gonna be moments of beauty and moments that suck. There's gonna be moments where you're gonna feel the fullness of Christ and moments where you're gonna feel incomplete. Moments where you're just like, Jesus, take me home, and moments where you're gonna think, Jesus, thank you for this life that you've given me. He goes on, he says, number two, I love this one. Some of you need this tattooed right now. Come on, it's good, it's that good. He said, you gotta give up false messianic expectations of love, marriage, and sexuality. We have a culture that worships these things. Like you think your salvation, and when you say, he says your salvation, he's like your hope for life is found in these things. The next relationship, finding a spouse, the right sexual experience. He said, you gotta give up these messianic expectations. Like even when in the church, I, I think the idolatry that sometimes we're like, yeah, it's fine, is this messianic expectation of your spouse is going to complete you? Nope. In fact, I, I, I dated people growing up who were like, I, I tend to date, I, I shouldn't go here, should I, babe? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, nope, I was, I'm filtering this. <laughs> who would like kind of worship me, you know? And then, and then this girl came along. She wouldn't give me the time of day. And it frustrated me. I was like, I need you to show me a little bit more attention. Do you even like me? Right? I think you do, but I'm not sure. Why? She was like, I'm, I, I really don't need you to complete me. I'm going here. You're welcome to go with me. And I'm like, well, shoot. <laughs> Never dated somebody like that. But I did have enough wisdom to know when we got married, we weren't trying to complete each other. I wasn't trying to fill some kind of void in her life. She wasn't trying to do that with me. It wasn't this like romantic going to the sunset and everything's perfect, no. My life is found in Christ, my identity is in Him. And I get to come alongside her and we get to do that in our life together. We gotta lay aside these false messianic expectations. Stop chasing the things. Number three, we go inward and learn the deep soul work of solitude, contentment, and self-control. This is what Henry Nouwen said. He said, you gotta go inside. Can you be alone with yourself? Can you be content with where you're at and who you are? Because if you can't be content in Christ as a single person, <laughs> marriage may not be for you. No, you gotta do the deep soul work. You gotta practice self-control. Because how many of you know indulging your sexuality and your desires does not lead to more contentment, right? <laughs> it's like drinking from a well where you just get thirstier the more you drink. And then fourth, he says you embrace the restfulness and restlessness 
of your sexuality. This is what I was just describing a minute ago. He says the restfulness is some days you're going to feel content and at peace. And some days you're going to feel like, you know what, I want something else. Or I want something more. Or I don't feel right in this body. Or I want that. And he says that's life. That's life. That's living in the in-between. Some days you're going to feel fulfilled, and some days you're going to long for something more and different. But we submit ourselves to Christ. We allow the desires that he's placed within us to draw us and lead us to him. Come on now. That takes a spiritual maturity. Our sexuality is good, but our sexuality is not ultimate. And you and I are called to steward this in the time we have in the in-between towards God's design. Steward this good gift in a way that aligns with his design and purpose for you and I. Amen? Stand with me across this room if you would. I want you to take a moment right where you're at and just close your eyes. What we always do at the end of the message is just to make room for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And I have no idea how this message would hit you today. Whether you're in the midst of a struggle or maybe it's just theologically shifting some things in your, in your mind. Maybe the Holy Spirit's wanting to speak to maybe how you see or how you treat people who struggle with issues of sexuality. But I just want to submit this all before the Father this morning. Father, we thank you for your good design and your good gift. We recognize what sin has done, the brokenness it's created. But God, help us as your people to steward our sexuality faithfully, God. Help us to steward it well. God, we reject the ways of this world, and we want to raise up a standard of your kingdom. We are people of your kingdom, called to holiness, called to reorder our lives according your, to your design and standard, which is not restrictive or limiting, but which is good. And God, I pray every person in this room, help us. Help us to steward it well. God, we give it to you this morning. Where we are struggling, help us, Father. Help us. Give us the courage to open up with the right people in the right places. Give us the courage, Father, to be honest. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. If you would, City Church, this morning, just continue with your head bow, head, head, uh, head, eyes closed and head bowed just for a second. I want you to just, for, for just where you're at for a moment, just prepare your heart to come to the table. In just a few minutes, we're gonna step out and we're going to receive the body and the blood. Just prepare your heart for what God wants to do in you and through you this morning. towards the screen as we say our table liturgy together this morning. Let's say this. For the weary, 
the table is our rest. For the burdened, the table is God's embrace. For the sick, the table is heaven touching earth. For the doubting and confused, the table is God's mystery revealed. For the bitter and hurting, the table is God taking our pain. For the anxious and worried, the table is our immovable hope. For the divided and disconnected, the table is where we become one. For the unbeliever, the table is an invitation to take Christ. At the table, we declare, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Let me say this to a few groups this morning. If you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, we invite you today to come and take Jesus as Lord and Savior. You are loved, you are pursued, you're a son and daughter in Christ and he loves you. And if you wanna take Christ today, you're welcome to come to the table with us who have confessed Christ as Savior and Lord and take him. Let me remind you that one of the things that we do when we come to the table is this is a way that we declare nothing above Jesus. Our identity is completely and solely in him. Not what we do, not where we came from, not how we voted, not our sexuality. Jesus is everything. The gospel is everything. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, eat this in remembrance of me that my body will be ripped apart so that you can be put back together and be made whole. And then Jesus took the cup, the cup of his suffering, that he would bleed and die so that one day when you and I stand before the creator of the universe, in our judgment, how many know in our judgment, God will not see our sin. He will see the blood of Jesus, amen? That's what rescues us. That's what saves us. It's not our good works. It's the work of Jesus done for us. I'm gonna invite the prayer and communion team to come and prepare. Let's prepare our hearts one final time. Father, we thank you for your body and blood. We thank you that as we step out of our seats in just a moment and we wait in line as, as the family of God, we are declaring Christ above everything. Christ above every other thing in our life, every other desire, every other thing that tends to define us, God, you are above those things. We put you first and foremost, the center of all things, Father. God, would you meet us through the body and blood? Those who need healing in their soul, healing in their body. Those who don't know you, Father, would you meet them today in the elements? God, we confess you are everything to us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. As you're ready to partake, you're gonna step out of your seat to the right, come forward. They'll hand you a piece of bread. You can dip it in the juice, take there, or back into your seat as you're ready. Come to the table.